This morning, you know, we have so much blessing because of email. We can write pastors in Manila. When they come, they drop by. So we are blessed this morning to have one of our pastors from CCF Maine. I don't want to read through all of what he has accomplished both in the business world and in CCF. But this morning, we are privileged to have a dear, dear brother to me and to my wife. He's here with his wife, whom will share a testimony later on. Brothers and sisters, spiritual family, will you please give a warm CCF welcome to our pastor, Enrique Sartu. Thank you, Pastor Insong. Good morning, everyone. I'm so amazed that CCFLA, you know, the Bible talks about casting your pearls before swine, but here you cast your rod to get swine. That's, that's really something. I mean, I knew there was something biblical about everything you guys did over here, but that really takes it. Well, uh, it's so good to be here. My, my wife and I uh, spent a few days in Denver, planed in a couple of nights ago and had just a wonderful time with Pastor Insong and Lynette and their family. And, you know, one of the reasons why it means so much to me to be here this morning is ever since I went into full-time ministry about two and a half years ago, I've only had the privilege of speaking or being in a satellite outside of CCF Maine twice in two and a half years, and this is the second of those two times. So it only, <laughs> praise God, it only goes to show that in CCF there is no real vacation. No, that's not, I'm just joking. It's our pleasure, really. The pleasure is all ours, the blessing is ours to be here. And I, I just want to reaffirm the decision of the leadership here, Pastor Insong, Pastor Danny, and Pastor Reggie, and the rest, about moving into a series about knowing God. That is where you are, right? Okay, so I know I'm in the right place. And I just want to reaffirm that, that leading of the Lord because it's, it's something that is so fundamental, so foundational to the Christian life. And it, it just reminds me of, of one morning when I, my wife and I were waiting for one of our hosts up in Denver to pick us up. And I was out in the driveway and this guy who works for the hotel comes out and he was washing, I think, the, the inward parts of an air conditioner or something. And then he asked me, so where is home for you? And I said, Philippines. And he said, wow, do you know Pacquiao? <laughs> and I said, as a matter of fact. Because <laughs> I know he came to CCF once when we were still back in St. Francis. And I said, I kind of, sort of met him. <laughs> but the truth is, the answer to the question is no, I don't know Pacquiao. I don't know him personally. He's not my friend. We didn't grow up together. We didn't go to school together. And, you know, for many people in this world, too many as a matter of fact, that's the same thing with them and God. They know a lot about him. They've read a lot about him. A lot of people who come to church know a lot about God, but they don't know him. There's a major, huge difference between the two things. And as we go through today's message, I just wanted us to start off with this verse. Is it coming out? Wow. High tech. John 17, 3, Jesus said, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so basically Jesus is saying there is no eternal life to be had apart from a personal relationship, a personal and intimate knowing of who God is. Personal, not second-hand faith, not somebody else's insight, but our own ginosko. Ginosko means to know personally or to know intimately. And if we go back to the Old Testament, uh, where we will be camping out for a while in Jeremiah, this is what the Lord wrote through him. Jeremiah 9.23 says, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom. Let not a, the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. These are three things that the world holds in very high esteem. Wisdom, smarts, the smarts they call it. Uh, mighty, or might, strength, physical strength, influence, connections. I know so-and-so, and, -so and uh, he can, you know, he can uh, help me with things, or riches, money, wealth, material things. Nothing wrong with these three things, but these are the things that obviously the world holds in very high esteem. But the Lord said through Jeremiah, 
we have no business boasting about any of these. And when you do have these in abundance, it's easy enough to boast, right? If you say, well, I'm a good-looking, smart, rich person. Wow, how can you beat that? But then Jeremiah says in verse 24, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he what? That he understands and that he knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things. So huge difference between knowing about God and knowing God. And it will be a, a lifetime journey to really know him for all that he is. And by the time we know him fully for all that he is, we will be with him face to face. And so the best is yet to come. So as we continue our series, and I understand last week you talked about God being omnipotent, right? And this, I guess, is a sort of continuation of that, and obviously only God could have orchestrated that. I didn't know what you guys talked about last week until just a few days ago. So why don't we just pray and commit this time to the Lord, shall we? Our omnipotent, all-loving, all-knowing God, we just want to thank you this morning and give you praise and worship as you have just allowed us to do a few minutes ago, Lord, with the songs that you've allowed us to sing unto yourself. We, we just repeat, Lord, to ourselves that indeed you are the holy God. You are the all-powerful God. There is none like you indeed. In all of the universe that you've created, Lord, you are unique for you alone indeed are God. But we thank you even more that you are our God, the God of your people, a personal God, a God of relationship, a God who says, I know you, I have called you by name, you are mine. And Lord, we just want to sit at your feet this morning, myself included, and just be refreshed by your word, be challenged by your truth, and just be prompted by your spirit to move forward into the life that you have so lovingly prepared for us and the, the blessing and the privilege of just knowing you increasingly as we seek you with all our heart and as you are true to your promise that you will be found by those who seek you with all of their hearts. So God, I pray for every person who is here this morning, every family that is represented, and Lord, even for the future generations that will come forth from us, we pray, oh God, that indeed we will be faithful to you all of the days of our lives, that you will be pleased to bless us so that we can be a blessing to others, that we will be the salt and the light that you have called us to be. All this we pray in Jesus' mighty name, and all the people said, Amen, Amen. amen. So this morning... As we get to know God better, personally, I also realize that it's not just about knowing Him. When we know God, there, there needs to be a response. Something happens in our lives <clears throat> the more we know a person. Like when I got to know my wife better, became, before she became my wife, obviously I fell more and more in love with her. And uh, it would elicit a response from me, laughter and uh, writing love letters and poetry and all of these things. Just checking. A jet lag can do funny things to you. Anyway, but see, there, there has to be a response. Knowing someone elicits something from within us uh, that com comes from the inside and moves to the outside. And so this morning, we'll be talking about prayer, praying to the God of the impossible. He is the God for whom nothing is too difficult. And so one of the appropriate responses to that is to pray. Would you agree? <clears throat> Someone once said, I'm sorry I don't have the appropriate quotation, but somebody once said that what we know, what we think about God is probably the most important aspects of who we are. Because how we think will determine how we will behave. And so today, when we believe and if we proclaim that God is the God of the impossible, then one appropriate response is to pray to him to trust Him and to obey Him uh, according to what He says in His Word. Now, as I was thinking about the God of the impossible, <clears throat> it just brought back memories to me that I, I like movies, I guess. Are there any other movie buffs in the congregation today, or am I all alone? Okay, great. Now, I particularly like old movies. Okay, so now I'm feeling more alone I know I brought up the average age in this room the moment I walk through the door. That's fine. Um, but I, I especially like old movies with their old special effects. You know, the old science fiction adventure movies. And I realized that one of the people who brought special effects back in the day 
in the 50s, probably in the 60s, who brought special effects to a whole new level at that time was a guy named Ray Harryhausen. Ring a bell? I am now all alone in this room. Okay, Ray Harryhausen, uh, he, he did not invent, but he perfected, so to speak, uh, the, the technique called stop motion or stop action photography. And if you, well, let me just take you through a few of the movies where he was the guy behind the special effects. He actually died early last year, and there were tributes to the guy all over the place because he did such marvelous work. Now, uh, if some of you would care to admit, remembering movies like Sinbad in 1958, you had the famous scene between the Cyclops and the dragon. Okay, if you have never seen this, uh, Good for you, but you, you, can, you can watch it. I'm probably on YouTube. I mean, it's so old, nobody owns it. And then there's, of course, Jason and the Argonauts, my personal favorite. You know, many of things have been actually remade, so don't make the mistake. These are the originals, Jason and the Argonauts, 1963. This one you probably heard about, the famous battle between Jason and the skeleton army. Yeah, that one is quite famous. Okay, now... Uh, in 1981, the original Clash of the Titans. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, there was such a thing as the original Clash of the Titans. And here you have the scene animated by Ray Harryhausen, the Kraken and the Flying Horse and the Metal Owl and all of these things. The reason why I was reminded of special effects is because these are the guys who, cinematically speaking, make the impossible possible. But then these are just movies. You and I are in real life, and we face real life difficult and sometimes even seemingly impossible situations. You and I cannot look to people like Ray Harryhausen for help. A, he's no longer alive, and B, like I said, it's just the movies, but this is real life. So today again, what is the message? We pray to the God of the impossible. If you're looking for a job, a resume is really important, right? People will want to know what you're made of, what you've been able to do, what have you accomplished, where have you been, what have you done. And if we were to put together a, an abbreviated resume of the God of the impossible, what would it look like? Well, I put together something for us this morning. It may, the type may be really small, but that's only because God has done so much, the human mind cannot absorb it. I mean, if you just look at this list really quick, you have stuff from the Old Testament on the left column and stuff from the New Testament on the right column. I mean, just look at this. Creation of the heavens and the earth. I mean, don't palang, di ba? We're blown away. Uh, the, the unconsumed burning bush, the transformation of the rod to the serpent, the plagues of Egypt, and on it goes. If you move to the right column from the New Testament, the virgin birth of Christ, the star of Bethlehem, over 300 prophecies about Jesus fulfilled, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000, walking on water, etc., etc. I mean, if God had a resume to show that he was the God of the impossible, it would look something like this. The truth is, God doesn't have to prove anything to anyone. We owe Him our worship. We owe Him our reverence because of who He is. And it is a right thing to pray to a God for whom nothing is impossible. Are we okay so far? I want to go back to the book of Jeremiah where we will be spending some time this morning. And I want to go to Jeremiah chapter 32 and start in verse 6. But just before, well, okay, let me read the first couple of verses. It says, uh, Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me. Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle is going to come to you and say, buy my field at Anathoth because as nearest relative, it is your right and duty to buy it. Okay, let me just give a background. This was the time when the Babylonians were already laying siege to the city of Jerusalem. So it was a very, very sad, very dark time in uh, the history of the Israelites. They knew that it was a consequence of their own sin, that this was happening to them. And uh, many parts of the nation of Israel were, had already been overtaken by the Babylonians. So they had fallen into enemy hands, as you probably can guess or know. The Babylonians were a fierce, very superior, very well-armed, merciless uh, race. 
when they would take over a nation, they would basically imp uh, make that nation impoverished. They would take the best of human assets as well as physical assets, bring them back to their nation, and basically leave a, an empty bag, uh, the poorest of the poor, to fend for themselves. That, that is the kind of strategy these guys had employed in previous conquests. And so here were the Babylonians knocking at the door of Jerusalem. At this time, Jeremiah was locked up. He was uh, under custody of, I guess, what you, might, what you guys might know as the secret service. In the Philippines, it would be the PSG, the Presidential Security Group. And the reason why Jeremiah was under custody or in prison was because he had been prophesying that all of this would happen. And the leadership would not accept it. They're saying, you know, basically, you're lying, you're trying to scare us. But the truth is, it was already happening. And so Jeremiah was in prison. Now imagine yourself in the sandals of Jeremiah. And you're in prison, and this whole dark uh, age of, of Israel is coming upon all of you. And then God says to you, uh, Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle, basically your cousin, is going to come to you and say, uh, hey, Jeremiah, can I interest you in a piece of real estate? Not exactly the best time, right? I mean, if, if a salesman came knocking at your door and you were behind bars, you'd say, can you come back some other time? So it says, uh, because as nearest relative, it is your right and duty to buy it. Verse 8, then just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, buy my field at Anathoth in the territory of Benjamin, since it is your right to redeem it and possess it, buy it for yourself. Now again, is there any logic in this offer? Is this a good time or a bad time? It's a very bad time. Now you might say, wait a minute, you can buy low and sell high. <laughs> but this is like really, really low. This is such an awful time. I mean, we... Humanly speaking, they could not see beyond the present day. What was going to happen to them? They were just about to be taken over completely by this, this uh, ruthless people. And probably their race was in, in under threat of being wiped out. So it's really not a good time. I mean, if you think about the Japanese occupation, for example, in the Philippines, it was just as dark, if not darker than that. And then... Jeremiah says, I knew this was the word of the Lord. In other words, in spite of the fact that it didn't make sense, he knew it was something God says. And so he obeyed. Because Jeremiah knew that God was the God of the impossible. And in verse 8, it says, So I bought the field at Anathoth from my cousin Hanamel. I weighed out for him 17 shekels of silver. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Take these documents. Okay, so he signed the, the deed. Take these documents, both the sealed and unsealed copies of the deed of purchase, and put them in a clay jar so they will last a long time. Why did God tell Jeremiah, put these in a clay jar so that they will last a long time? Because God told him that his word will eventually, in the future, be fulfilled. And this was precisely what God said in the next verse. For this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says, houses, fields, and vineyards will again be bought in this land. Basically, he was saying, Jeremiah, don't be bothered by what your eyes see and what your human mind perceives. Someday, this will be a thriving place where commerce will once again take place. Now my question to us is, are we facing a situation today that as far as our human eyes and our human mind is concerned, it's just impossible, it's just so difficult, we can't see beyond today, we don't know what the future holds? Well, the good news is, whatever that future is, God is already there. And he's got it all figured out. There are no surprises as far as he is concerned. And so, when the Lord revealed this to Jeremiah, this is the conversation that happened after that. Verse 16, after I had given the deed of purchase to Baruch, son of Neriah, I prayed to the Lord. What did he say? Can we read this together? Ah, sovereign Lord, 
You have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing is too hard for you. In the NASB, nothing is too difficult for thee. And uh, I, I just remember Pastor Insong and I, we go, such, he's laughing, you see? He, we and I go back such a long way in the music ministry. Once upon a time in CCF, obviously there was no MacBook and there was no you know, PowerPoint or any of these things. And the songs we used to sing, I wonder if there's anybody aside from Pastor Insong and myself and Pastor Danny, but we had these huge books of, do you know what acetates are? transparencies wow who told you about that your grandfather or what I mean this is like way back no just joking but we had these huge books full of transparencies and they were numbered 01 02 03 mostly alphabetical but then again you know depending on what new song came out the the song a Lord God pastor in song by number two zero two Ah, Lord God, Thou hast made the heavens and the earth by Thy great power. Ah, Lord God, Thou hast made the heavens and the earth by Thine outstretched arm. Sing it, guys. Nothing is too difficult for Thee. Nothing is too difficult for Thee. Oh, great and mighty God, great in counsel and mighty indeed. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing is too difficult for thee. Hey! Huh? Pastor in song, Iceba. Just like the good old days. Now, if, if we try and kind of take this apart, I, he said I could close this, so I'll do that. If we kind of take this brief declaration apart in verse 17, notice the first thing. He declares, Jeremiah says, Ah, sovereign Lord. Again, he, he recalls God's track record. Now, he, God doesn't need to be reminded of what he's done. You and I need to be reminded of what God has done. Amen? And so Jeremiah says, You have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. And I think this morning it will probably be good for us if we remind ourselves of what this means about the God who created the, the heavens and the earth, and I pray that as we uh, do that, we will get to know better the God of the impossible. It will inspire us to trust Him, to obey Him, and to pray to Him. Now, I'm going to share a few things with you from the book uh, Indescribable, written by Louis Giglio and Matt Redman. Matt Redman was one of the songwriters of one of the songs we sang a while ago. If you don't mind, I will look at my código here so I get the facts right. Okay? Uh, the heavens and the earth. Talk, let's talk about the sun. Okay, let's talk about the sun first. The sun's surface temperature. What's the temperature outside today? Okay, 72 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. The sun's surface temperature is over 10,800 degrees Fahrenheit. Talk about a heat wave. So don't complain when it's 101. 10,800 degrees Fahrenheit on the surface. Every inch of the sun burns with a brightness of 650,000 candles. Every inch. In one inch of the sun's surface, that's 650,000 candles. In order to produce such energy, the equivalent of 100 billion hydrogen bombs must be exploding every second in the sun's core. Now that's about the surface. As far as the core temperature of the sun, it's around 27 million degrees Fahrenheit. How big is the sun? that the Lord created for you and me to give us the sunshine, the sunlight we need. It would take a jet flying at 500 miles per hour from the sun's surface. If it were to fly from the sun's surface to its core, it would take more than one month for a jet flying at 500 miles per hour from the surface to the core of the sun. That's just one small, you know, it's like a, one little Christmas ball on a Christmas tree as far as God is concerned. But you and I are just blown away. Let's talk about the moon. The moon is the perfect size to make the earth habitable. 
It causes the earth to tilt at 23.4 degrees, which allows for the seasons that we have in whatever part of the world you are. If the moon were slightly larger, it would cause the earth to tilt so far on its axis that the side facing the sun would experience unbearable heat while the opposite side of the earth would always be in sub-zero winter. Just a small degree. If the moon were slightly larger than it is, then you and I would be in real trouble. That's the sun, the, the moon, and now the earth. Our home, the home that the Lord has given us for now. Not our ultimate home, our temporary home. Our earthly home is blessed with the ideal conditions for life. If oxygen levels decreased by even a small percentage, animals would not be able to breathe, and neither would you or I. A few percentage more, and all plant life would be burned. Everything about the earth has been found to be scientifically just right, including its gravitational pull, magnetic field, and the thickness of its crust. You know, one of the things that uh, really blesses me when what my wife and I travel and people have us over at their home, just like the Pastor Insong and Sister Lynette have, is we, we know they prepare their home for their visitors. But you know, in, in a far greater way, to, a, to an unimaginable degree, the Lord has prepared this place for us to inhabit throughout our earthly life in, 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 such, uh, in, in such great detail and especially made for you and for me. Now, I want to share this with you as well, just so that we realize how significant we are in God's eyes in spite of our apparent insignificance in the universe that he created. This is a, an illustration of a spacecraft called Voyager 1. Voyager 1 was launched in 1977, which to some of you here would be ancient history. But to me, it was very contemporary. 1977, Voyager 1 was launched, and its mission was to study the solar system, to take photographs as it traveled through the Milky Way and so on. Now, in 1990, how many years later? So many years later? Okay. Our, our math takes a break on a Sunday. 1990, 13 years later, Voyager 1 was 3.75 billion miles away from Earth. It was already at the edge of the solar system. It was about to make its exit. Its mission has, had already been accomplished by that time. But the late scientist Carl Sagan, if you remember the name, he told the people at NASA, can you send one final command to Voyager 1? Uh, just type in your computer for Voyager 1 to turn towards Earth one last time and to take a picture of Earth from where it is now, from, meaning three and a quarters, a billion miles away from Earth. And so, that's exactly what happened. Voyager 1 turned this camera towards Earth one last time and it took a photograph of Earth which, is, which has come to be known as the pale blue dot. Okay, let me sh show you what that looks like. Do you see the pale blue dot? <laughs> no? Let me help you. There. Do you see it now? No. The Bible says we live by faith and not by sight. <laughs> okay. But let me, let me try and close up a little more so that you and I realize this is what we look like from 3.75 billion miles away. You see it now? Okay. My friend, somewhere in that pale blue dot is you. Can you see your face? <laughs> oh, no amount of uh, ophthalmology, ophthalmological intervention can help that. Okay. Now, you know, we, we talked about the, the sun and the moon and all of these things. And intellectually, you can say, yeah, wow, what a great God, you know, the heavens and the earth. But what about me? I mean, I think about this pale blue dot. I can't even see where I am. Does God really care about me? Would that be a valid question? You know, people may be embarrassed to ask that, but in the back of their minds, they may actually be asking that. Yeah, the heavens and the earth, yeah. But what about me? I mean, this little corner of, of this tiny blue ball, does God really care about me? Well, let's go back to Jeremiah. 
Jeremiah may have had times of doubt, even if he sounded so confident about who God was, and yes, Lord, you made the heavens and the earth. Remember, he was in prison, and the Babylonians were at the, at the, the entrance of Jerusalem. They had already taken over much of Israel, and Jerusalem was just about to fall. And so here is Jeremiah exclaiming to the Lord, moving forward in verse 24, he said, See how the siege ramps are built up to take the city. Because of the sword, famine, and plague, the city will be handed over to the Babylonians who are attacking it. What you said has happened as you now see. Again, let's use our imagination and pretend we are where Jeremiah was. I mean, look at the words he used. He talked about siege ramps. Uh, do, do we have an idea of what that is? You know, when, when you have a walled city, for example, you have siege ramps that are built on the outside so that the attacking soldiers can get over the wall or, you know, maybe through a battering ram through the front gate. So the siege ramps were being built. It was like the end is near. And then he talked about the sword, which is basically violence, killing. Uh, he talked about famine which was probably part of the strategy to starve these people to death. And of course, with famine and with, uh, with the lack of sanitation, there was the plague. So it was like, Lord, everything is going bad. I mean, I know you said this, but I didn't realize it would be this bad. He said, Lord, it's, it's happening exactly as you said. And though the city will be handed over to the Babylonians, you, O sovereign Lord, said to me, buy the field with silver and have the transaction witnessed. So you can kind of sense in the tone of Jeremiah's words, it's like, Lord, I'm really sorry, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but is this really the way it's supposed to be? I mean, what are you going to do? I just can't see beyond what, you know, what I can see right now. And then the Lord comes back and says, then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. He says, I am the Lord. Can we read this together? I am the Lord the God of all mankind is anything too hard for me. Pastor Insong, may kanta na naman tayo dyan. Oh. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything, is there anything too hard for me? If you remember it, sing. Is there anything, anything, anything too hard for me? Is there anything, anything, anything too hard for me? You know, songs are a great way to memorize scripture, as you can see. I mean, we're talking song number two, song number five in the, in the 30 year history of CCF, and we still remember them. But anyway, we were saying a while ago. So, okay, this heaven and the earth thing, this is great for National Geographic or Discovery Channel or something else. But what about me, my situation? Does God really care? Well, so let's go from outer space into inner space. Let's talk about how God made you. How personally involved was God in the making of you? Years ago, no matter if that's a few years or more than a few years, I go back to one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 139. It says in verse 13, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. Now again, let me just go back to my código. When I was writing this, um, our daughter-in-law was seven months pregnant, but of course now our granddaughter is eight months old, so that's been a while back. Let me just say that God has programmed our development in the womb. Everything is perfectly timed, step by step, in perfect sequence. The first thing that is resolved at the very moment that the sperm meets the egg is whether you are a boy or a girl along with your entire genetic makeup. As early as four weeks, the structures that will form your face and neck will begin to take shape. It is at this time that our most vital organs develop, such as the heart, which at four or five weeks is only the size of a sesame seed, but will pump blood throughout your body. 
Your lungs, stomach, and liver start to take shape around this time. And around a month after that come your eyelids, your ears, and your nose. Your arms and legs should be in good shape by now, along with your fingers and your toes. And give it a couple of months more and you will have even your unique, God-given, one-of-a-kind fingerprints. That is how personally involved God is with the making of you. Psalm 139 verse 16 says, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment, I was, every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. As I was thinking about this this morning or last night, I remember the story about how I got into full-time ministry. Uh, there was, all my life, I had presumed that I would be bivocational. I'd be working full-time and uh, doing ministry work uh, as a volunteer. But the Lord apparently had different <clears throat> plans, and it was about <clears throat> maybe three and a half years ago that Pastor Peter Tanchi asked me to pray about going full-time. And I said, that's a surprise, but how can you say, I mean, you can't say, yes, I will pray, but not pray. And you cannot say, no, I will not pray. So obviously, I prayed. And, you know, this is one of the few times when I prayed and the Lord answered. And my response was, Lord, could you be a little bit vague? <laughs> I mean, he was so clear. He was so direct about the answer being yes. Now, there were two, two hurdles. The first one was, I would never pressure my wife into saying, you know, you have to say yes because God said I should. So I, I gave her the space she needed. I said, Lord, I will not pressure my wife. You need to speak to her in the same way that you spoke to me when I was not uh, pressured. I was given time to pray. Because in my wife's mind, uh, going full-time was an okay idea. But her timetable was maybe three, three and a half years. But God's timetable for me in CCF was three and a half months. Not exactly the same thing, right? So <clears throat> anyway... But uh, a few weeks down the road, my wife woke up really early one day. She, she heard God speaking to her. And basically the question was, will you give me your husband? Is that, was that the question? Will you give me your husband? And of course, what do you say? <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> anyway, now the second hurdle was this. When I, when I went to my immediate boss, no, so not my immediate boss, the president of the company I was working for at that time, uh, I said, well, you know, um, I need to tell you this sooner than later. I, I really believe I'm being called for full-time ministry. And my boss's response, I cannot quote you here because they're mostly four-letter words. <coughs> Basically, he wanted me out of the room. He, I guess it was something he did not expect. Well, let me change that. I think he expected it, but he expected it much, much, much later. And so he asked my direct boss, a British guy, to speak to me. And this, this British guy, my, my boss, is a very persuasive kind of person. And he had me sit down in front of him and he put his fingers like this together. And I knew that when he'd do that, we have, we're going to have a very interesting conversation. <laughs> and so he said to me, you are currently working on an important project, are you not? I said, yes, sir. And he says, I don't believe that God would have you abandon a project until it is complete. Am I correct? <laughs> I said, uh, you're probably right, sir. Enough said, right? So I left the room and I came back to the Lord and I said, Lord, this is your show. What am I going to do? I've done what I can. Um, I'm being put on a guilt trip. or whatever. But it sounds logical. I mean, I wouldn't want to compromise my testimony nor the Lord's name. So this project I was working on was something that would have been the first of its kind in the Philippines. I won't give you the details, but uh, I was, I guess you might say, at the forefront of researching the, mo the distribution model. And I was the one making the presentations to the chairman of the board. After a few meetings came the next one. The chairman had come over to the company. We sat in a room. The president was there. So was I, my direct boss, and a couple of other people. And so I made the latest presentation. At the end of that, the chair 
chairperson said, you know, everything you presented is good. However, I have decided to take this project from your company and transfer it to another company in the conglomerate. So this is no longer your project. <laughs> and so my boss's faces were like, you know, like this. And I was like this. <laughs> and that's when I realized that in all things, God, God is the God of the impossible. Amen. So he's really wonderful. And um, see this. Quote from Jose Navajo, or Navajo, Mondays with my old pastor. He says, my responsibility is to think about God. It's God's responsibility to think about me. You and I need to know God better and better. Because he knows us through and through. And our responsibility is to think about God more and more. And it's his responsibility to think about us and to deal with the issues in our lives beyond the point of what we can do ourselves so the message today again is pray hello pray to the god of the impossible okay at this time i'd like to call my partner of almost 30 years 30 years in december my wife agnes and she has a testimony to share with you all okay to read from otherwise I will take longer and uh, okay well first let me uh, thank you all for having us we are truly blessed to be with you and blessings from Manila thank you for the joy and privilege of uh, sharing my testimony uh, in 2003 I became a media personality media betis po ako alright 10 years later the Lord upgraded my sickness from diabetes to cancer. When a large mass was discovered on my right breast, my husband and I petitioned the Lord, Lord, sana walang surgery. Sana biopsy results will be good, benign. But if it were cancer, sana low grade. You know, all those haggling. And then the Lord answered our prayers. He said no, no to all. I had to go through the knife. My tumor size was 10.5 cm. Biopsy result was invasive ductal carcinoma, which was very aggressive. I had lit lytic lesions on my seventh and 11th rib. I had bone metastasis. I was diagnosed with stage four terminal breast cancer. This tragic diagnosis required a radical, a lot of medical radical intervention, including a modified radical mastectomy, 18 weekly chemo sessions, and 30 days of radiation. The Lord never makes mistakes. He is omnipotent. He is all wise. And so I did not understand why I should have cancer when I don't drink, I don't smoke. I led a clean life. In fact, a loving D group member told me, Aggie, you should not have cancer. You're leading our D group. Who's going to lead our D group? And so uh, I said, I almost thought at that time, I said, Lord, I know you're, you're doing something. You don't make mistakes. But when I looked at my neighbor and I saw him, he was drinking, he was smoking and he's not leading a good life, I said, Lord, mas bagay sa kanya ang cancer. Bakit ako ang may cancer? But I said, Lord, I shouldn't ask. I'm just here to really obey you and know you. So I wished God, really, uh, God would give me a lighter cancer. But his great plan was for me to experience him in a very special way. He is the God of the impossible. He had to put me in an impossible situation so that I will see him more clearly. I recall my Christian oncologist who told me, Aggie, I'm a good doctor and I will take care of you. But I'm only a doctor. You are stage four. Only God can heal you. And so when I realized that, I knew God had to give me a very 
difficult situation because when I, if I survive, then only God will give the, get the glory. No doctor, no medicine, nothing. Okay? Only God gets the glory. And so as I faced my mortality, I found great comfort in Jeremiah 29. Again, Jeremiah 29, 11 to 12. I know some of you may, may know this, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. I wished his plan was simpler, less complicated, and more comfortable. But his desire for me is to develop character, not comfort. I asked the Lord why he had to let me complete my doctorate degree and then let me become terminally ill. And so the Lord reminded me that I will be a better doctor if I'm, if I'm a patient first because I'm a very impatient person. He didn't need my credentials. He doesn't need my credentials. He needed my heart. He needed my, all of me. I, in fact, I remember there was one time when God was asking me, Agnes, will you give me your plans? Will you give me your hopes? Will you give me your career? And I said, Lord, my life is yours. You do with me as you please. It's okay, Lord. And so... I just said, Lord, if this is the journey for me, I said, Lord, let it be your way, not my way. I just had one special request. I said, Lord, Lord, please, please make me pretty. <laughs> I want to reflect your glory. <laughs> it's really true. And... Uh, because every time I'd see a sick person, especially cancer patients, you know, they feel it looks like the first thing that happens to a cancer person is they die. They die before their time. And so I said, Lord, if you must allow me to, if you will allow me to go through this difficult time, I don't want anybody saying that you don't know how to take care of me. I'm stage four, Lord. You are my life is in your hands. You know, cancer has also a way of damaging every part of the patient's body, including the pocket. The 18 weekly chemo sessions did not depress me, but thinking of paying all the medical bills did. My medicine alone cost about 200,000 every 21 to 28 days. And my operation practically wiped out all our medical insurance. So my chemo treats will require really digging very deep into our very limited funds. And so I, in desperation, I told God, I told him, Lord, I don't know where you're taking me. Lord, I will not die of cancer. I will die of paying all these bills. And I didn't like, you know, I didn't like to burden my family. So, you know, in America, I think you have better uh, medical insurance benefits. But in Manila, we're really indigents when it comes to cancer. But in God's impeccable timing, that night when I was really, that was one, the only day I was depressed. The whole time, I was okay. okay. So that night, you see, we, we didn't ask or beg or borrowed money. We didn't like that. So that night, my husband came home, and it can be said already, he came home with an envelope, and the first thing I saw was a 100,000 check. And to this day, we don't know who gave. And then there were other checks, and there were people who would just come to us and say, ah, God told us to give this to you, because we didn't know them. So that night, when I saw the envelope, it was impeccable, because that envelope only a really came in when I was wailing to God. And I even wailed more when he whispered to my ear, he said, Oh, you woman of little faith, didn't I tell you, I will take care of you. And uh, his resources never run dry. He's the owner of the whole universe. Why do you worry? I said, yeah, that's right, Lord. If you didn't give the money, you'll just heal me or just take me home. All right? So 
In Philippians 4, he reminded me not to be anxious about anything, but instead I should do the following. Pray and seek the God of the impossible. Be thankful and grateful and present all your requests to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. I asked God, I said, Lord, how do you really want me to respond in this situation? And he gave me Habakkuk 3, 17, 19. Though the fig tree should not bloom, and there be no fruit in the vines, though the yield of olives should, not fa should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flocks should be cut off from the fold, there will be, and there be none in, in the stalls, yet I will exult in you, Lord. And so I told the Lord, though I have to go through the knife, though I have to go through 18 chemo sessions, though I have, though I have bone metastasis, and I was diagnosed with the last stage, no more stage five, stage four, that's it. I choose to exalt you, Lord. This was my total surrender, and this was my total, this was my liberation day. I experienced his joy, complete release. And in Proverbs, it says, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. That joy was uh, really so important to me because it was my, the joy in my heart as I really just gave, I said, Lord, thank you. And God was reminding me, Agnes, I choose your circumstance, but you will have to choose your response. And so I said, Lord, thank you. I choose to rejoice. And so the proof of that joy was after two and a half years. It said in my report, every six months I have, go, I have to go through some bone metastasis. My doctor said, you know, Aggie, the best part about bone cancer is that it could, it, it takes a long time. I mean, it, it doesn't progress. So for as long as there's no progress, you're good, okay? But it's the most painful and there's no bone cancer reversal as far as medicine is concerned. But after two and a half years, so every six months, I would go for my bone scintigraphy exam. After two and a half years, it read, compared to previous bone scintigraphy, seventh and 11th rib, no osseous lesions, healed. I said, Lord, only, only you can do that. And so there was one doctor who came to me and said, you know, Aggie, when, I, when we hear of stories like yours, we throw our medical books. We just have to really just say, Lord, thank you. Praise God. And though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I feared no evil, for he was with me. My stormiest chemo days were my best times with God. At the one-on-one -on -one special times during those extreme bouts of nausea and pain, and as, as I surrendered my terminal condition, God enabled me to rest and sleep. I remember there was one time I was really going through so much pain. And I said, Lord, will you just let me sleep? I don't know about you, but if you have a toothache, it's so hard to sleep. Uh, my condition, I couldn't sleep because of the pain. The, the pain was horrible. But I was begging God. I said, Lord, please don't allow me to to do it on the bed because my husband just hardly slept and we have only one bed, that's it. We don't know where we will sleep next. And so, you know, God was so gracious. He would let, let me sleep. And the following day, I was like this. Lord, I'm okay. Lord, thank you. Thank you, Lord. I'm, awi I'm alive. I mean, I didn't even know if I will wake up beside my husband or I will just wake up with God in his arms. But it didn't really matter. His plan was always the best. And we, I never felt so much love in my, with, uh, and care from my family and loved ones who daily prayed for me. I remember my husband prayed every morning on bended knees as he continues to pray every day today. And we prayed for several things. We prayed to the God of the impossible that the medicines will have maximum efficacy 
and minimum side effects. Provisions for every cost, uh, for very costly treatments, divine wisdom for my doctors, quick recovery from my 18 chemo lethal section, uh, sessions, protection from virus and bacteria, opportunities to share the gospel, and for total and complete healing. This time, our Lord God answered us with a firm yes. And the best part about cancer is it gave me a platform in sharing the gospel and talking about his faithfulness. I asked God to give me the opportunity to share his story in my life, practically in all my training programs. And you know, when, when they hear of a cancer patient, they'll all listen. Why? And I tell them I'm stage four cancer, so they'll always listen to somebody who's just close to eternity, right? So, uh, and so uh, now I have a thriving ministry called the Life to the Max. The mission of Life to the Max is to bring life and hope to those afflicted with cancer and other chronic degenerative diseases. Indeed, there's hope in the big C because the big C is not the cancer. It's Christ in you and in me. It has been over 11 years since I've had I've been declared stage four cancer, and I'm truly grateful to God for he allowed me to see beyond the temporal and stretch my eyes to see with the eyes of faith to experience the eternal. To all glory, honor, praise to the God of the impossible. Yes, indeed, in him all and through him, all through him alone, all things are possible. Nothing is impossible with me. Well, I don't know about you, but it's been a full morning, just um, indulging and just refreshing ourselves in the Word of God and how He works in the individual lives that He Himself created in each of our mother's wombs. And just before we pray and go into our small group discussions, I just want to just say one more thing about how we know that God is the God of the impossible. What is the most impossible situation in the universe? It's this, Romans chapter 5, verse 10. It says, For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him through the death of His Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life. The most impossible situation ever in all time over the, in, in the entire universe is the fact that, humanly speaking, there was an irreconcilable difference between God and his you know, created human beings. It wasn't God's fault. It was ours. And yet this impossible situation that we could not bridge and we could not solve God stepped out of eternity into time and made the impossible possible by sending His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, if the Lord has put in your heart a desire this morning to know God personally, the first step is to be reconciled to Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. And there begins the journey of a lifetime of knowing the God who put you and me on this earth in the first place and who has eternity reserved for you and me, a space with our name on it to enjoy his presence forever. Shall we bow our heads and pray? As our heads are bowed, the first question I'd like us to ask ourselves is, are we facing any difficult, even seemingly impossible situations this morning? What could they be? Something to do with relationships perhaps, marriage, children, siblings, parents, something financial in nature, something to do with your health, your career, your business, or just a seemingly bleak or uncertain future. Well, God is the God of the impossible, and He has everything figured out even if we can't see beyond today. But perhaps you're here this morning and you've never truly or fully surrendered your life to the Lord. Well, the God of the impossible has made it possible for you to be in relationship with himself. 
And that was 2,000 years ago through the death of his son Jesus and his resurrection thereafter. If you've never made that commitment, if you've never stepped into that relationship before, then that's the reason why you're here this morning. Because a relationship between you and God, personal and intimate, vibrant, is possible because of him. Will you open your heart to Jesus this morning and just tell him, Lord, I don't want just to know about you. I want to know you. You know me through and through because you put me together in the first place. But I need to know you, Lord. I need to experience your love for me. I need to know your forgiveness of all my sin. I need to know what it means to have you as my Lord and my Savior. And so this morning, I give my life to you. I ask you to forgive me of all of the wrongs I've done. And I know you will receive me as is where is. But at the same time, you love me so much that you will not leave me unchanged, but you will make me into the person that you want me to be. Father, we just want to thank you for this morning once again. We thank you for blessing us with your presence in this humble gathering. We thank you for making our lives what they are today. But thank you even more for what you have in store in the days and years to come. And most of all, Lord, we thank you for the glorious eternity that you have in store for all those who call upon your name as Lord and Savior. That place where there will be no more death, nor mourning, nor crying, nor pain, because the old things will have gone and everything will be made new. Meanwhile, Lord, we pray for the grace and the faith and the strength to call upon you and believe in you as the God for whom nothing is too difficult and for whom nothing is impossible. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name and all your people said, Amen, amen and Amen.